0: Again, you see the title is uh, Unity Preserved. This is the last message in the foundational portion of our messages, messages on unity. There will be an application, a couple of messages and applications specifically as you were prepared for it and told about it in the area of music that will follow. We noted already that it is our responsibility, and I repeat that, our responsibility as believers. It is impossible, you may hear these messages, you may be sympathetic with the messages, but if you are an unbeliever, if you have not yet come to trust in Christ, what we are talking about cannot be done by you. It's impossible, for the Spirit of God is not there to lead, is not there. To guide. But as believers, we have seen that it is our responsibility to be diligent, according to chapter 4, verse 3 of the book of Ephesians, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we spoke about that last week. It is our responsibility to be diligent, to work hard at preserving the unity which God has established. And it is wound up in the bond of peace which also we saw as love. That peace was established by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and no other means. That is again why if a person is an unbeliever they can hear these things, be sympathetic to them, but it's impossible because they're not part of the unity since they have not yet come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this unity in Christ, this oneness in Christ, this oneness with one another, is to be seen, not just to be spoken about, it is to be seen universally and locally. People's introduction to Jesus Christ should be through believers, by way of their actions, not just by saying, I am a Christian. There are many who say I am a Christian who are not a Christian. That is not what shows the unity. What shows the unity in our belonging to Christ is our actions, particularly toward fellow believers. Let me repeat that. Our action, particularly toward other believers. And this concept of preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and to be diligent in it is very serious before God. When you look at the scriptures, God is very serious about this. Although, I will say again out loud, I believe that you might not think so. And why would I say that? When you actually watch the way professing believers act with one another, toward one another, in behalf of one another, you would think, that unity has no importance in the body of Christ whatsoever. Because certainly to many believers, it's just a flippant thing by what you observe. Now differences and disagreements, and this is important as we wrap this thing up this morning in this section, will exist. They do exist. They will always exist. And they will exist in the area of standards. They will exist in the area of the practical outworking of our Christian living. It is inevitable. It will always exist in the concept of worship and the way things are done. But, while there will be differences and disagreements, that does not mean, nor in fact should it mean, that there is disunity. It does not mean that there cannot be unity that unity should not be broken by differences and disagreements in those areas. However, most often, and I want you to catch this, I started the series with this, I am now getting to the meat of it, often the problems within the body of Christ or the disunity are not our differences. I want you to hear that again. The disunity is not our differences. What is it then, Pastor Dan? The heart of the issue it is our attitudes, our actions. It's not the differences at all. It's the way we treat them. Let me get real specific. The problems of disunity in the body of Christ is not the differences, it is this. It is the nasty politics. It is the mean words. It is the childish behavior. It is the angry attitude. It is the awful pride. It is the selfishness. It is the arrogance. It is the backbiting. It is the gossip. It is the lack of forgiveness. It is the lack of humility. It is the disinterest in or concern for the body of Christ. It is the disinterest in our lack of concern for reconciliation. And it is the minimizing of our own sin and own disobedience to the word of God. That's what disrupts the body. It is not the differences. It is those very attitudes that exist from time to time among every single believer, including myself and you. That is what breaks the unity. Remember now, we are not talking about violations of clear scripture that has delineated and made a prohibition or a dictate to us. We're not talking about that at all. There is no room for differences there. What we are talking about, and if you've been here for the series, and if you haven't been, and have only heard half of it, I recommend that you get the tapes, not because this is part of my series, but so you piece it all together. It is in the area of opinions. It is in the area of the application, specifically, to daily sanctification and how that works. That's what we're talking about. We did note that standards exist for everyone. Don't sit here thinking you don't have standards. You do, and so do I. Every church does, every family does, every individual does, every organization does. Everyone has standards. Individuals, families, etc. And this is a good thing. They are areas of judgment. They are areas of discernment. And I will not repeat it, but last week I gave some guidelines as we were closing I went through a number of guidelines that will help you and help me and help our families and help organizations and local churches to make decisions in deciding what standards they will have based on profitability, edification, and a number of other things. However, it is important to realize, and listen carefully, that standards are not Do you hear that? Standards are not a basis for judging salvation or spirituality. My standards or your standards are not a basis for determining whether or not someone else is saved. The scriptures do that and God does that. It is not the basis of determining whether or not I'm spiritual or you're spiritual. That is law. That is legalism plain and simple, if you're judging it just by the standards. It is the heart and the spirit of the person that is the key to God, knowing that there is differences. Standards are necessary, why? For harmony, for harmony when considering others. Standards are necessary as individuals. It is necessary in a family. It is necessary in a local church. Why? Because I need to consider other people. And in order to have harmony, there's got to be standards to be considered. So it is very crucial. Standards are also, and I didn't spend time on this because I cannot cover everything with the series in the amount of time that we've kind of given to it. Standards are also designed to help me. Let me repeat that, and you can put your own name in there. Standards are designed to help me to try to apply the scriptures so that I do not make a provision for the flesh. And that is Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Catch that again. Standards are designed. Why do we have standards? It's not for someone else. Standards are for me. Why? So that I will not make a provision for the flesh. That's why I have standards. I don't go certain places. I don't do certain things. Why? Let me be practical about that, and I'm going to deal with things this morning. But for example, if someone has a problem with drinking, and you put alcohol in a car, or you put it in a place that you can find it, you've made a provision for yourself, if you have a problem there. If you're struggling with something else in your life, and you go to a certain place, when no one else knows about it you've made a provision for the flesh and the reason you establish standards is I don't wanna do that I don't wanna go there I don't wanna why you're providing a provision uh, to avoid excuse me provision for the flesh is what you're doing you are coming up with those standards so you don't put a stumbling block in your way or somebody else's way but now let's face reality We've talked about that in these last five weeks now, but let's face reality. What do you mean? Take a good look at James chapter 3 to start this morning. Notice what he says. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let me answer that for every one of us. Every one of us would probably say, obviously, I am. You're sitting there in the pew and you're saying, I'm the wise person. I know how it goes. I know what the scriptures say. I've, I've and by the way, as you've, you've been with us in the book of Proverbs, and we've had a, lot of, a long break from that, but when he talks about being wise, that is the word for skilled. We've learned that. Who is really skilled in what? Living wisely. That's what James is dealing with, the whole book of James. Do you really think you're skilled in living a godly life wisely? That's what he's saying. Do you really think that? Notice what he says. If that's so, verse 13, show it by the way you act. You really think you're skilled? You really think you're a wise Christian? Show it by your life. With an exemplary lifestyle, now watch as a peacemaker. In verse 2, he says, uh, verse 1, let him show it, how? By his deeds, his good behavior, in gentleness and wisdom. That's how he starts off. If you really think you're wise, let's see it. See it by the way you act. See it by what you do. In verses 14 to 16, what does he say? Basically, we lie to ourselves. What do you mean? But if you have bit of jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, and by the way, it works this way to be practical. We have our standards. Someone else doesn't abide by it. We don't like it. And so, but in our heart, we're screaming. And our face is getting red. And we're getting all worked up. What is that, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart? What does he say? You're a liar. You lie against the truth. There's no love there. There's no unity. You say your standards are such and so, and that's what makes you godly when in inside you're horrible you liar this wisdom and notice that how many times have you heard this passage but not heard it in its context he's talking to professing believers this wisdom that says that you're wise that says that you have good understanding that says this and your life doesn't support it because of the jealousy the selfish ambition that's inside the arrogance that you're better off than somebody else that's inside, that doesn't come from above at all. It comes from the earth. It comes from your flesh. In fact, it comes from the devil. That's what he says. Rather than unity, peace, and love, the world observes fighting, quarreling, anger, church splits, and so forth and so on. That's what they observe. And James, writing to believers there, you know the context, I believe, most of you. There were all kinds of things going on that James was addressing. Even the concept of partiality, and even the concept of saying to a brother, yeah, I want to help you when they don't help you, and, and so forth. Be warmed and filled, go your way, and all He said a bunch of hypocrisy. That's not Christianity working at all. Well, I told you I'd give you some specifics. Well, I'm going to do that for you right now. We talk about looking at reality, what is happening, what goes on. Let me give you some specific situations. Now, I want you to listen carefully, and it is on tape. These are real situations. These are not something I just sat down and made up. Secondly, listen carefully. These are not from Fellowship Bible Church. Let me repeat that. These examples I'm going to use are not from Fellowship Bible Church. Now, I didn't say they might not apply, but I don't want anyone to walk out of here and say, Pastor Dan was using me as an example. If that happens, I know nothing about it. But these are real situations. Why? Because I want you to see the reality of just how important this material is. I'm going to give you several ones, and I'll tell you what they are ahead of time. First one is altar calls. Now listen, and I'm going to quote. I'm just going to read right down. A large church, Bible-believing church, invited an evangelist for a week of special messages. At the end of the week, the evangelist challenged the congregation to develop a deeper devotion to Christ and to be more committed to sharing the gospel. Then, without showiness, without coercion or endless appeals, he invited people to come to the front of the auditorium to kneel with him in prayer. His messages had touched so many people's hearts that they responded to his invitation. But the church was not accustomed to altar calls. That's why I say it could apply, you know, whatever. Not accustomed to altar calls. As the meeting ended, a prominent, it's not my word, as the w- oh, meeting ended, a prominent church member expressed within earshot his disagreements with the evangelist's altar call. His loud, angry words, and catch this, facial expressions shocked those that were around him. He accused the evangelist of being unscriptural in his practices and involved in emotional manipulation. He even threatened to leave the church if the leadership did not deal immediately with the situation. Upon hearing the angry of the man's accusation, some people jumped to defend the evangelist. They saw that God had used the evangelist to revive the spiritually dry church and supported his challenge to greater evangelism. They accused those who opposed the altar call of being narrow-minded, traditionalist, and always resisting change. Can you see the conflict? They also accused them of being insensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and not caring for the lost. Other people sided with the angry complainer, claiming that the evangelist was preaching a gospel of easy believism. They made slanderous remarks about the evangelist's motives, character, and labeled him as one who was they agreed to be a liberal. They also attacked the church leaders, saying that they lacked any spiritual discernment at all. They went so far as to ask the church leadership to resign, claiming that they had sinned against the church by in- inviting a wolf in sheep's clothing to preach. This is, a true this is a true story. Soon, the gossip and rumors lit the phone lines. Past grievances against one another were all rekindled. Hurtful accusations of every came out in every direction. Angry, inflammatory speech became the mode of communication. Misinformation, fear, suspicion, distrust aroused. Friends and family members were now recruited to choose sides. The church leadership communicated poorly with the congregation, and the angry and hatred continued to escalate. Within one year, the church split into two separate groups. Each group claimed to to be defending God's truth. There was no desire to part on the part of either to seek reconciliation. They were happy to be done with one another. A number of the young Christian couples from the same church went on a ski retreat. Some of the couples brought, oh, this is the second one, sorry, I just didn't went into another area, sorry. I, let me get back. I get so wrapped up in what I was saying. All right, they were happy to be done with one another. Let me continue. Members of the church were caught up, uh, where is it? Oh, I, I forgot to put the end of it there. Anyway, it ended up in a church split on that first one. Let me go to the second one. That's where I was going. Music, which is where we're going to go, right? Members of this particular church, and we'll leave it at that, were caught up in a fight over music styles. They simultaneously complained that the music was too fast, too slow, too old, too new, too loud, and too soft. One prominent older woman accused the song leader of playing rock and roll, prompting someone to say that the church had become like a nightclub. Meanwhile, younger men complained that the music director chose funeral dirges (laughs) that turned people off to worship. None of these exaggerated inflammatory claims were true. None were helpful to the church leaders who were trying to seek to end the music war. Some of those Christian people who would never curse, steal, miss a prayer meeting, or think of even taking a drink, responded with unrestrained anger toward those who disagreed with them, they felt perfectly justified in sending hate mail and venom via through the internet. The overreactions and the verbal slaying of their brothers and sisters in Christ absolutely plundered the church. How about Christmas? While home on furlough, a missionary found himself caught in the middle of a debate relating to regarding Christian liberty. One group insisted that the church not celebrate Christmas because it was originally a pagan holiday and had become increasingly secularized. Another group claimed liberty in celebrating the holiday because it no longer was a, had pagan connotations. The missionary was forced to choose sides. When he did, the opposing group declared that he was a traitor and a false teacher and was no longer welcome to the church. One angry person even launched a website and listed all of the missionaries' alleged sins, failures, and erroneous beliefs, and advertised to people not to support this missionary. These are true stories. This is living a life that shows unity for Christ, right? Here's the one they ended up jumping over to. Wine. Oh, no, Pastor Dan. Number of young Christian couples from the same church went on a ski retreat. Some of the couples brought wine to have with them for the evening meal. A few couples did not want to drink. But the wine drinkers insisted that there was nothing wrong with drinking wine during a meal. They convinced the non-drinkers to join them and not be so rigid. Later, however, the non-drinkers felt that they had violated their conscience. You remember that? They became upset with those who pressured them to drink. And those who pressured uh, them uh, brushed aside the non-drinkers as simply being legalistic and ignorant of the scriptures. This caused a drift in their relationships. It led to disputes within the church about who was right and wrong and eventually caused the church to split. Pride of righteousness. A group of professing believers had left the church and were confused and were searching for their faith. They left the church. When asked why they left the church, they said that they would have preferred to die than to admit that they were wrong about their doctrine. At the heart of the problem was pride, because they thought they were one of the few who had been spiritually enlightened, as they felt that they had achieved a higher spiritual plane than those who were the abusive spiritual leaders. Folks, listen carefully. Don't misquote this. There will be no fundamentalist, Baptist, Calvinist, Presbyterians, Reformed theologians, or Arminians in heaven. They will only be believers. There will be nobody saying, I want to quote this guy and quote that guy, and where's this one? I want to know where Christ is. The pride of rightness. One more. I could go on. Disunity because of misunderstanding. I got a chuckle out of this one. It was a church history class and the teacher stated that Constantine, the first emperor of Rome, professed and then legalized Christianity, but he was not a true born-again believer. Constantine, the teacher said, used Christianity for political advantage. One student disagreed with the teacher, insisting that Constantine was a true believer and a great leader of church history. He became visibly upset and proceeded to attack the teacher verbally. The teacher in turn became angry and defensive. The exchange ensued and got so ugly and heated in class that the class was dismissed. The teacher and student walked away from each other. One week later, the teacher resumed the class on the subject, stating that Constantine merely professed Christianity. Oh, the student exclaimed, who had the problem before, I thought you were talking about Augustine, not Constantine. I thought you said Augustine. Augustine wasn't a true believer. No, the teacher said I was talking about Constantine all along, not Augustine. Oh, well then, I agree with you. The whole conflict was the result of a total misunderstanding, but had resulted in gossip, tail bearing, and created discord and disharmony, not only in the class, but in the church. We hear things like this that I've just said to you, and we might laugh, but we fail to look in the mirror. What do you mean? That's part of the next area. What do you mean, look in the mirror? How many times have you, or I, let me even make it the other way, how many times have I, or maybe you, been the cause or the contributor to disunity in the body of Christ? What do you mean? With our behavior, with our attitudes, with our speech, while thinking our standards are perfect. Have you ever done this? Well, who chose that color? Well, that was the stupidest decision I ever heard. Who made that one? Who do the elders think they are? That's not his clock. That's ours. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Do you believe what that family is allowing their kids to watch? Do you know what that family's doing? Or maybe it's actions. <laughs> well, you won't talk to that person ever again. You won't forgive. You walk out of a meeting because you're spiritual. Slam the door. Ignore the person coming down the hall. Should I go on? Have you ever done that? Say, no, I haven't. I have. I'm not proud of that. We do. It's those actions that cause the disunity. It isn't the differences of opinion. It's the way we behave toward those who disagree with us. And that is what's seen by the world. And that is what causes all the problems. Often, the bottom line is this, in my opinion. It is the pride of self-righteousness in every one of the areas. It doesn't matter where you stand on the subject, whatever the subject might be, provided, again, it's in the area of opinions. It's in the pride of righteousness. Such as what, Pastor Dan? I would never do that. Well, praise the Lord if you'd never do that, but now you're charging them in the front of everybody else, and you are causing the problem. Thinking you're more spiritual because you don't do something or you do something, because your family doesn't do something or another family does something. When it's, again, not a direct violation of scripture. We need to look in the mirror more often. We are not to react in this this particular text. We're not to react with jealousy, selfish ambition, and every evil thing. We're not to be arrogant and think we're better off. Let me give you some ways not to react, and then I'm going to end with the positive. How not to react in situations. Go to Galatians chapter 5. What happens if there's differences? This is what not to do. Don't act by the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Now verse 16 says, okay, this is in 17. There's the flesh that's desiring to go against the spirit. The spirit goes against the flesh. And when you come down to verse 19, listen. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are these? Now we can see the first one's easy. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality, and idolatry, and sorcery enmities, but it doesn't stop there. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions. When I react toward another believer who's made a decision or does something different for me, and those things are in my life, listen, I'm the one in sin, not them. When that characteristic is in my life or your life, when there's a difference, I am the one that's causing the disunity, I'm the one in sin, not the one I'm accusing for what they did. Plain and simple, it's straightforward. Dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Let me give you another list, go 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll come back to Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we don't like to hear this. We don't like to hear that we're the cause of the problem, we're the cause of the disunity. But how do we react? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 20, look at it, I'll go back to verse 19. All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves, Paul says, actually it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ for all your uh, up-building and beloved. For I am afraid of you. Why was he writing that he was afraid of the Corinthians? That perhaps when I come, I will find you, watch this, to be not what I wished, but I'd find you to be not what I wished, that perhaps there will be what? Strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. When that exists, friends, as believers, we are in sin. Plain and simple. When we see someone else and we disagree with them, and we say, I cannot believe, and we do that in public, we have just destroyed the body. When we get angry because our standards are a little different and everybody can see it, we have caused the problem, not the difference. We are not to react with the wisdom that comes from the earth. That was James chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Again. What are we not to do? You know, this is practical. It's not being preached in a lot of churches. Why? Because it's going on behind the scenes. And people don't want to touch it. But it's what we need to improve upon. What we need to get rid of. In Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 15, I think it is. No, nope, that's not the one I want. I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. Galatians chapter 5. Yes, it is verse 15. But if you bow and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed one of another. That's what believers do. How do they do it? That person's in sin. That family does not love the Lord or they wouldn't be doing that. Really? Have you ever thought that's a great teaching tool for your family to say, you know, our standards disagree a little bit with those standards? Okay, but then you don't put the family down because of that. Maybe you teach your kids how to make decisions by doing that. It isn't anything goes, keep your standards. But watch the way you treat others whose standards are different. You know, I'll give you a very practical one on that, even with families. Anytime we would have people over with the children... I I know we've tried to practice this, and some of you may say you didn't do it in my case. In most cases, we tried to do this. If we had somebody over and we were going to show a movie, we would call the parents up. Is it okay if we have this movie? Because we tried to be sensitive to them. That's all. And if they said no, we didn't turn around to our children and say, they obviously don't walk with the Lord. That's sin. That's sin. Or we get this file. I've heard this many times. I don't even know whether they're saved. If they were saved, they wouldn't do that. Ah, they're just backslidden anyway. Really? Did you look in the mirror? Don't judge or hold in contempt. Go back to Romans. We saw this one. Go there quickly, Romans. Keep your finger in Galatians. Romans chapter 14. It gets ugly and hurts when you get into these things. What do you find in Romans chapter 14? I won't go through it all, but remember verse three, I think it is, the one who eats does not regard, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who doesn't eat. That's the point. Don't judge them. Don't hold them in contempt. Don't say, I would never do that. If they were a Christian, they wouldn't do that. Look at what he says in verse 4. Who are you to judge? They belong to the Lord. This isn't an area that's black and white. Let them live to the Lord and let the Lord judge the motives. What are you doing? Who are you to be the judge? Get down to verse 10. Same passage. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? You see? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're satisfied in your own heart, praise the Lord. Hold to your standards. We're not saying give them up. But don't go judging your brother when he's got the ability to stand before the Lord. Don't play the Holy Spirit's role. I'm convicted. They must be convicted. That's not true. They didn't come out of the background you had, maybe. They didn't have the same difficulties in some areas that you had. We're not dealing with drunkenness. We're not dealing with immorality. Those are clear cut. We're talking about areas where judgments and opinions have to be made. Let me get to the positive side. What is it? It's dying to self. That's what it is. If you want to have a unity within the body of Christ, what do we need to do? Since you're in Romans, take a look at Romans chapter 14 and look at verse 19. Look at verse 19 of that passage. What does it say? It says this, so then, we pursue the things which make for what? Peace and the building up of one another. How often are we doing that? You want to die to yourself. You want to seek those things that are peaceful. You want to seek the things that build up. It doesn't say violate your conscience, but also don't charge over them. Each is answerable to God. Again, verse 4, we just read that, right? He stands and falls before the Lord. Why? The Lord's able to make that person stand. Realize that the person has to be accountable to God. Go to Galatians chapter 5. I ask you to keep your finger there. Galatians chapter 5. Rather than strife and jealousy and outbursts, outbursts of anger. Out, you know, this is almost like uh, we talk about many sins, but today people don't want to talk about gluttony because, you know, especially in the United States of America. Why? That's too sensitive. We want to talk about all the things that go wrong, but we don't want to talk about angry spirits. And we don't want to talk about outbursts of anger. Why? Because that's our sin. In contrast to that, here's what you should be doing. Galatians chapter five, you know it without me reading it. You want to know whether or not you're reacting the right way in a situation when there's a disagreement? The fruit of the spirit is love. Do you react with love or anger? Do you react with joy and peace? Are you patient with that person? Kindness? Well, if they're a Christian 10 years, that should be out of their life, says you. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you think slamming a door, running out of a building shows self-control? I don't think so. talking to other people on the phone knowing you're in a safe environment not having the courage to go to the leadership but to talk about the leadership or their decisions that's cowardness that's disruptive to the body of Christ that's what causes the disunity and the whole point of this is unity in areas where we have disagreements self control against such there's no law in James chapter 3 Let's go to a couple more verses. James chapter three. Kind of quiet in here. James chapter three, verse 17. In contrast to selfish ambition, in contrast to those things of arrogance. What does it say in verse 17? You wanna see the wisdom that comes from above? It's first pure, it's holy. Then what's the next thing? It's peaceable, it's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy. We talk about these things. And then we walk out of the building. There's no question in my mind probably within five minutes of this message it's very possible someone will walk out of this building to the very things we're talking about. Full of good fruits. Not some good fruits but full of good fruits. Full of mercy. Unwavering, without hypocrisy. Look at verse 18. The seed whose fruit is righteousness, it's sown in peace by those who make peace. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a, what's the, I think I just heard it's gonna be uh, the code for uh, VBS, isn't it? Building up the body? Did I hear that? Are we bodybuilders? A lot of people that are physical bodybuilders. Are we bodybuilders spiritually? Are we body construction demolitionists? How can I undercut? How can I slam it down? Where does that wisdom that really comes in your life and my life? We ought to exercise the qualities that we saw last week. Go back to Ephesians. Remember I told you I skipped verse 2 purposely? Let's go to that verse. We're almost done. Galatians chapter 4, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Remember we saw in verse 1 that we're to walk worthy of that calling? And in verse 3, we're told to, Be diligent, be diligent, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. And what was in the middle? How does it happen? Here it is. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance with one another. Are you kidding me? They don't agree with me. It's bothering me. It says tolerance with one another. What? In love. In love. It's because you love them. They belong to Christ. They're trying to live the Christian life. They may struggle with things you don't struggle with. You may struggle with things they don't struggle with. But the areas where differences are allowed, how about this one? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. You knew this one was coming. One of the first things we did when we moved to this church location was put those verses up on the sides of the walls. You come in here and read them every single week. Do we do this? Philippians chapter 2. Let me go back to verse 2. Make my joy complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Is that where we're going? Are we intent on one purpose? There are so many local assemblies. There are so many believers. There are so many situations where people on set, on... Just bringing glory to God. They're set on just having everybody look like them, dress like them, live like them, have their standards, and that's the way it is. But it says in this passage, "Do nothing, not some things, nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind." Humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a disagreement with a believer on a particular standard and the first thing that came to your mind was they're more important than I am. I couldn't do that. I can't go there. But the scriptures don't say that they can't or I can't. And I love them because Christ loves them. And they're more important than me anyway. I'll have patience. Not, I'll pray that God will straighten their lives out. But Lord, help me to be humble. Lord, help me to have a right attitude. Help me to regard them as more important. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. It's got to be my way or else. But also for those interests of others, and then you notice he says that's the attitude that's found in Christ. What happens when the disagreements come? Is your reaction the deeds of the flesh—anger, bitterness, wrath—or is it humility? Lord, maybe I need to learn something. You know, I, I'm having trouble. Maybe, maybe it's me. Lord, I. I'm concerned for your holiness. Let's assume that everybody's on the right page. And I I just can't see this. Lord, help me. Help me to have humility. Help me to have peace. I end with this. Control your tongue. Stop being so critical. Control your anger. And by the way, none of this can be done in your own power. Face controversy, don't avoid it. Face it with prayer, with humility, with a teachable spirit, as a peacemaker, with forbearance. Remember, love covers a multitude of sins. Pursue peace, pursue unity, seek reconciliation. Seek the glory of God, not your own preferences. All of us need to learn what the scriptures say. Unfortunately, usually what happens is we want everybody to be taught what we believe in our standards. But are we teachable? And then show love and grace. That's what God does with us. Aren't you glad When I got saved, and you could probably say the same thing. When I got saved, there were some things that God took immediately out of my life. And I would look at others and say, how can they struggle with that? For me, it it was automatic. It didn't have the same impact in their life. Then there are other things that people look at my life. You can all look at my life. Pastor Dan hasn't got that. Uh, You know, I know people have talked about competitiveness. It's true. It's true. Anger, it's true. Not proud of those things. But I will say to this, this to you, if you knew me before I was saved, you don't know what competitiveness is. You don't know what anger that I did have. God changed a lot of things. He changes some things in our lives quickly, other things he does not. Aren't you glad in those areas that God is still working on you, that you don't have somebody breathing down your neck saying, why haven't you got this out of your life? The last example that I'll give you, I don't know if any of you have ever read Sharpener Iron, Sharpening Iron. It's Iron sharpens Iron. This is a conservative website. I'd recommend that you go on it, because it's interesting. It's put an article. It's had several parts to the article. And this is just another one of those areas that we've talked about on the King James only. And by the way, for those of you that may be visiting or don't know, uh, that is not my thinking. I think the King James Bible, I get saved with that Bible. I love the Bible, the Schofield Bible. It's a great Bible. I use the New American Standard. It's a great Bible, English Standard Version. great Bible, my opinion. But there are some that cling to the King James as the only one. And it's interesting because in their articles, they pointed out that one of the problems is people who take that view aren't willing to actually look at the preface in the 1611 edition. And they've published it. Because the writers of the King James, the translators, I should say, of the King James, in their preference, stated three things that I'll say to you. They commended the other English translations that existed at the time. Secondly, they recognized their fallibility and said that they were not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the writers of scripture were. And third, they apologize for any mistakes that might be found in their translation. That particular website said it's an embarrassment to those who really claim that. And there's an argument going on with that right now. The whole point is it's foolish. It's foolish, the things we fight about. Some of these principles that we talked about, as I wind this up, I'll talk about music, but it's all the other areas as well. We need to examine, what do the scriptures deliberately say? I can do and I cannot do. There's no room for anything. But when there's room, formulate your standards with some of the principles. It's not just license to do. We read it in Galatians this morning in our responsive reading. Don't let your freedom be used as an excuse. And I gave an example last week, by the way, because it was a real-life example. And it had to do with alcohol. And I can give you examples on every one of the cases. There's always exceptions to the thing. But the point is that there was a person that was involved, and it was with beer, but the point was they were just saying it was their liberty when all the time this particular individual, and it's no one from this church, this particular individual cannot do without it, and they can't see what they're doing with it. That's the sad part. That's the sad part. And there has been situations even with the courts with that particular individual because of their liberty. They've taken it too far. They've taken it too far. We need to allow grace, and we need to be concerned about the unity of the body whenever there are disagreements. We're about to partake of communion, and I wanted it at the end for this reason. This represents a reminder to us of what Christ has done for us. We would not be united if it wasn't for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There'd be no body of Christ. And every time we come and partake of this, we're reminded of what he's done for us, and we give a picture to the world of our oneness with Christ and our oneness with one another. Let's show it. Let's, with our attitudes, have the godly attitudes and not let the flesh take over so we lose that battle toward one another. And let us exercise the grace that we talk about. Let's close in prayer, then I'll read 1 Corinthians and we'll have communion. Our Father in God, I know for me, it's difficult in these areas. sometimes hard to look in the mirror, be honest with our own hearts, but Father, you see everything, our motives, our attitudes. And Father, I thank you and praise you for the many in this room that have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. We thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, we're fellow members of the body of Christ. Help us, Father, to be known by our love one for another. Help us to be known as we yield to the Spirit of God, even with our attitudes, to behave properly with one another, preferring one another, so concerned to be diligent about the unity of the body, to preserve it in the bond of peace. Father, so often we fail. We ask your forgiveness for that. We pray, Father, that as we move forward, that we'd learn to exercise the godly principles of yielding to the Spirit of God, having humility, teachable heart, and that we'd truly love others as you love us, and we'd leave those areas to you to judge, that we'd exercise our liberties with caution and be ready to give them up for the benefit of the body so that you'd be glorified and honored. And I pray, Father, that we would not hold grudges against one another or judge, hold people in contempt, but, Father, that we truly practice what we say we preach, and that is, as Christians, to be followers of Christ. As we prepare our hearts for the communion service, I pray that in this time, as we pass out the elements, you'd help us truly to examine every one of us, starting with myself, where we've been contributory to division rather than unity. And Father, cleanse us and help us to go forward in unity. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.